0: So we're in Nehemiah, Ezra, and Nehemiah, and there was an initial cost. Like so, that day that those of you that are his, you, you said the prayer. You said, you know, Lord, I receive you in my life. I know you died for me. You're God. You, you took my sin upon the cross, and you and you gave it. And you did the first step. That was the first step. But the, there's another step after that. Jesus talked a lot about that. We're not going to deal with that this week. And there is a separation that has to happen. So. Let's put ourselves into the hearts and the minds of the people in the day that were in exile and under oppression. And God sent messengers in three different tranches to take them out of captivity and to bring them into freedom. So Ezra and Ezra 10, 11, he he came with this incredible, costly statement. It sounds good to us when we read it like, woo, freedom. And, you know, I said the prayer, filled out the card, that's freedom but there was a cost that came with the freedom. He says this in Ezra 1011. He says, separate yourselves from the peoples all around you and from your foreign wives. Separate yourselves. You're in this foreign land. You've gotten cozy and comfy, and even though you're under oppression and captivity, you've gotten used to it, and you've learned how to work around it, and you've accepted the fact that you're not free. And then this guy comes along and says, "The Lord has given you freedom. The king has had fa- the God has had favor on us through the king, and He's going to send you out and give you everything that you need to be separated. But there was a decision that had to be made. You you've got friends. You've made friends. You need to separate yourselves from those friends that are not His children. They're not of the same tribe and calling as you are. You." Maybe you've got a little business going on and you're going to separate yourself from your customers or from maybe a good employer or a, or a steady gig. You've got something steady that's, that's comfortable for you and you're, you're just going to have to leave it or all that's familiar to you, you're going to have to leave. And then he says it's very hard statement because it seems to contradict uh, the rest of Scripture in this area. And said you need to leave your foreign wives. Like, first of all, let's just be clear. God hates divorce. He said it. Jesus said it. He, should, he, just, he hates it. It happens. But he says, I, I hate that. And so he's not advocating something contrary to his, his rule of law. And by the way, there are reasons, certainly, to divorce, totally legitimate. And many of you in this room have, have, have had to do that. Um, but it also says in his word that he they met with each man individually according to their circumstance. And so there was this meeting. He said separate yourselves from this peoples. You're going to come out, leave your if you married a pagan wife who's worshipping idols, but we're going to meet with each man individually to consider their individual case. So I want to believe in that just to kind of get the theology part out here. That they probably had a very serious conversation and each circumstance was different and unique to the other one and made allowance. And I want to believe that maybe some of the spoils they got, they left behind and supported their families and that God would have a heart and certainly want to do that, that he didn't leave anyone destitute. But it was a serious time. And when you've got a serious time of spiritual dryness and darkness, it demands a serious cost. When there are serious spiritual dryness, it will demand a serious cost. And that's what God was doing here and calling them out. and said, listen, I need to protect the seed because within this group, this tribe of God's people is the seed of David who will one day be raised up to be exalted to be the King Christ Jesus. And I'm going to preserve that. And he was protecting that at that moment. And brethren, when we talk about cost, I, we just have to admit that We've been, it's not our fault we've been conditioned this way. We've been conditioned to be kind of soft and fragile. And guys, again, talking to you, kind of like gotten a little soft. And we just like it so easy. And, and really, I would believe the time that we're in is that, man, we need to toughen up a bit. And, and paying the cost and having that mindset is like, it's time to toughen up a bit. It was in, here's my illustration from my trip, number one out of many. So I was, as some of you know, I was one of the many, one of thousands of casualties into the New York, New Jersey area of flight cancellations, where between the FAA and all those issues, storm-related stuff, um, I became a uh, New Jersey transplant and relocated there for a few days involuntarily. And, uh, <laughs> At the airport in Newark, if you saw any of the footage from that, you, you, you would see that this thousands of people just absolutely lost and confused. And, and what I witnessed myself is no exaggeration by the news media in this case at all was that there were people just having emotional breakdowns. Like, just falling apart. I mean, and, and I'm not invalidating it. Like, they needed to get the weddings. They needed to get on their cruises. Maybe it was a family vacation they had saved up their whole life for, at least in the last couple of years. And they needed to get away. I, I saw elderly people laying out on the floor and, and just hopelessness. men clutching his chest. I'm thinking, are you going to die? What's happening here? Young men, this one teenage girl um, yelling at her mother, and hysterics, but I want you to, and I really related this incident to where we're at as a people. She said to her mom, we should have stayed in Italy. I hate this place. I hate this life. I thought about it for a minute. I don't think she realized what she was saying, but she's saying that as she was sitting in her luxury little place in Florence, for a week where they probably had a four or five star vacation, that coming back to this lost her baggage and, and misplaced a flight to get home, that somehow that her life was over. And I looked at that and I said, you know what? I, I'm not going to judge her. <laughs> I've done that. We're, and then other people yielding to anger, and people act out in all different ways. Hopeless resignation is a very common one. And people flustered, and a woman shouting that she was going to miss her cruise. And another one was a bridesmaid. I know that's very serious. And, and she, no la- luggage, no connecting flight. She's going to miss her wedding. And, and I'm just thinking like, yeah, it's horrible. But you know what? Is it really that costly? Is it really was it really all that bad? I mean we're sitting here in air conditioned airport and there's still food and like me, they sent me over in a taxi to a hotel in Jersey and like it was totally fine. It was totally fine. And I, I just saw that as like we need to toughen up and pay the cost. And I'll say that lightly because I know it's not easy. It's not easy for me, and I know it's not easy for any of us because we've been conditioned to have things easier and easier and easier all the time. But just to go back to the story of Nehemiah and Ezra, that God had allowed his people to be taken in captivity in order to bring them back. And it was part of the condition. Like God said, if you do this, I will do this for you. And if you don't do it, this is what's going to happen. Let me read it to you in Ezra 5.12. God will give us over to get us back. He said it this way. But because our ancestors angered the God of heaven, how did they anger him? They rejected him and totally forgot him and went after pagan gods. He gave them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the Chaldean, king of Babylon, who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. He gave them over to captivity. And many believers have been taken captive. And brethren, it is time for us to be set free. This is the day. We are going to be set free. So we're going through this series like, the, like we just need to get out of this mindset. Jesus talked about captivity. And remember he said, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. There's a, there's a freedom that comes from him. But a lot of us, we take that freedom as, our, as the, our rescue, our salvation, that that's the only freedom that counts. But there's a greater freedom because we can know him and be free and saved by grace but still be in captivity to sin. He said it this way, Jesus did in John 8 34. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. He just says, Those who have let sin be a master in their life, who over and over just say, I'm just yield to that, then he gives them over to it. Peter wrote it this way to those things that corrupt us. He says in 2 Peter 2 19, They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them we are mastered by the thing that we are yielding to and there's a cost to get free from that but God's favor and his release comes at a cost a lot of you know second Chronicles 7:14, very famous verse some of you have it memorized let me just read it to you as a refresher it's a condition here notice that the first four things written here are on you and me four things that you and I have to do, the next three, God does, but it comes us doing it first. He said it this way, if my people, that's us, who are called by my name, first thing, will humble themselves, humble meaning I need help, all is not good, I need help, and pray, meaning I know I can't do this on my own, and God, only you can set me free, and pray, and seek my in the Hebrew that means to seek his presence or intimacy with God and here's the big cost and turn from their wicked ways turn around from your wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land I will bring restoration to those who do their part pay the cost at this James speaks to the root of the issue in us, the places that we're held captive. And he gives a solution right up front. He says it this way in James 4.8. He said, come close to God, your part, my part, and God will come close to you. You come close to him, you pursue him, you seek him, and he'll come close to you. He said, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and this world. Can't you relate to that? Like, man, I'm feeling my loyalty. Like, I have this duplicitous part of me that is loyal to God on one hand, and on the other hand, have things of this world that I'm also loyal to, and there's this war within my members. And I don't like it because it's hurting a relationship, and it's also hurting the advance of his kingdom. Nehemiah and Ezra led people in turning back to God and God wants to bring us back to him return and restore us and he wants us to be a hundred percent his a hundred percent and there will be a cost at it Nehemiah 1 8 through 9 is God it hears from Nehemiah prayer it's not going to show up on your screen so let me read it to you he prays to him and this is what he's basically saying just an overview he's saying God I'm going to remind you of your promise that no matter how far we stray from you You will be faithful to bring us back if we'll do our part. He said it this way in Nehemiah 1, 8, 9. He says, please remember what you told your servant Moses, God. Remember this. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations, which is what he did. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. You can count, brethren, on God to receive you no matter how far you've wandered. If you were on a run until this morning and you're just feeling distant from God, God will take you back. If you in your own heart and strayed and you know it, and there's this place and only you know the dark secret, God wants you back. Places that we've wandered in our minds and in our actions, God is longing to bring his people back and to restore them, heal their land. Nehemiah humbled himself. He prayed, he confessed, and then God gave him favor. And here, watch the condition, what happened. There was a condition. God put something on Nehemiah's heart, and then he responded. That's what we're to do. He responded. This is what happened, listen, in Nehemiah 2, 8, and 9. He said, and because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Tran-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters, and the king had also sent army officers and a cavalry with me. When Nehemiah went to the king, guys, when Nehemiah went to the king to talk about the trouble that was happening in his homeland and the walls that were desolate in his own hardness. He was taking his life in his own hand. He was willing to pay the cost. He even says that in his writings he, he, that he would trembled before the king, that he should even seek to mention something for himself because when you're the cupbearer to the king, it's all about the king and it's nothing about you. How dare you Dare you bring up something that not only is about you, but about your people that the king doesn't care less about. He took the risk. And when he took the risk, God met him in a big way. Brethren, we've got to step out and start taking some risk and paying some costs so that God can meet us and we will know him more personally and intimately. We'll see his faithfulness in us. Nehemiah risked his life. It cost him something. He had to leave his employment. Do you know what it means to be a cupbearer, even if you're an oppressed person and held in captive? What it means to be up there, a cupbearer to the king, the the wine taster to the king, it's a huge deal. It's like corporate CEO, Fortune 500 stuff. It's like all these people saying, I want that job. I want that. And God calls him, he says, no, I, I want you to lead my people out there are too few willing to make great leaps of faith I will count myself among them we play it too safe and what happened here in this land just to take this story the next step not everybody who followed initially was willing to pay the cost as a matter of fact they were a group of those of influence and means that wanted to take advantage of the desperation of their own people. So you imagine this whole tribe of of Jewish people coming out and there were those who said, you know what? We got a great buying opportunity here. These people have sacrificed everything. They have moved and left their homes and left their families and and, and they're here to start a life all over again. And they're working and building this wall and they're running out of money. All of the spoil that God gave them when, when they left, that God gave, is being depleted, and, and, and they're hungry and they're desperate. He said this in, in his word, Nehemiah 5 1. This is the condition of the people. There was a great injustice among the people. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. There, there was this cry, he said, Nehemiah, it's not fair. We're suffering and paying the cost while these people are taking advantage. There were people in there saying, oh, you need money? Uh, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll put a mortgage on your land. I'm going to charge you a 13.5% interest or whatever it was, like the charge cards company does to you. Now, what is it, 28%? A, yeah, 29 Yeah, little, little usurious, wouldn't you say? I'll take advantage of your desperation. And, and not only that, he said, but if you can't pay me back, it's okay. This, this is when it gets crazy. Um, just give me your daughters and your sons, and we'll, we'll settle the debt. Just enslave them, and we'll, just, we'll call it even. And they'll work it off for you. And people did it. They did it. I mean, it was just plain wicked. But you know what? People all around them considered it perfectly normal. Because the custom and the culture where they came from, that's what you do. You you take advantage and and it becomes good business. You're just shrewd. You're not you're not evil. You're just a shrewd person. I mean, who wouldn't double down and and buy that up? Hey, I can take all my money and buy all this land. It's gonna be worth a fortune one day, and then I'll make them come back and work the land and I'll get a piece of the of the pie every single time. And that's what happened. But the thing was in the culture. That was perfectly acceptable behavior. And so we have things in our culture that have been deemed as perfectly acceptable and normal. We think that, I, I won't go into details, um, but yeah. They, they're just people that I've met with that, like, you know, had infidelity in their life, and they say things like this as Christians, professing Christians. I just wasn't happy anymore, but she makes me happy. Or he makes me happy. Like, there was no cost being born of loving somebody. Lawsuits between brethren, and you guys, it was on national news, an elder of a mega church from a well-known pastor didn't like uh, the, the, the direction the church was going. And so he sued the church for allegedly not following their bylaws. Right in front of the whole world, everybody saw this squirmish coming out. The church won resoundingly, but at a greater cost, such a great cost of discord and disunity that just troubled God's heart. Online assassinations, it's just at the cost of being in self-control, we're just not going to be in self-control and just say whatever comes to our mind. Fort Lauderdale, we had again, another pretty big church where somebody didn't like the new pastor that they voted in. And uh, so they, key, they keyed a car and, and, and lodged this passive-aggressive protest, and it was just, you know, horrific. And it was in the newspaper several times. It just paraded before the whole world. Sexual immorality that gets excused away is acceptable because everyone does it. And at the cost of deferred gratification, we're just going to make it easy on ourselves. The backbiting, the unrighteous judgments within the church, the discord and the deception. I, I remember this was many years ago. I believe it was Ron Hutchcraft, a very well-known pastor at the time, and um, not a person given to like what I would call like hyper spiritual statements. Very conservative in his ways, and he told this story that struck me. He said, "One day I woke up, and it was like I could feel everything that God felt. I could see the world the way that God saw it." He said, "So I'm." It was a Sunday, and I'm at church, and I, and I hear two people talking, and they were backbiting about somebody, and he said, my heart pained me. And then I went elsewhere, and I heard someone gossiping about somebody else, and it, and it just took my heart, and it was so unbearable. And then I saw the headlines of the newspaper. It was the day when we used to have newspapers. Remember that? And uh, yeah, we did. It was paper, and you held it like that. Um, and so he looked at the headlines of the newspaper and saw the tragedy of the world, and he said, I couldn't stand it, and I begged God, please take this from me. And I just help me put myself empathetically from God's point of view. I, none of us could do that, of course, not being God, but we could work on it. And so when God looks down and he sees churches that sell prosperity promise of prosperity to take money away from the poor. It's got to kill him, and he can't handle it. Just like this, there's an outcry that comes out. When you see leveraging fear within the church in order to get a money campaign, you know that it just breaks God's heart. God's response is the same as Nehemiah's. He has his heart. He's like Ron Hutchcraft, Nehemiah says, I was very angry. I was very angry. I mean, just the welling up of anger. And so Nehemiah does, pays the cost. At cost, he's going to confront these people that have taken advantage in the church, and he confronts sin with the truth of God's word. And he says this in Nehemiah 5, 9, and 10. He says, so I continue talking to these leaders and nobles what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in fear of God to avoid the reproach of Gentile enemies? Shouldn't you reverently be fearful of God in doing this? I and my brothers and my men are also lending money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Little biblical law prohibits the charging of interest. They just had lost any idea of God's ways or his word, didn't know the, 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 the Torah. They had no clue anymore, and they just got away. And he asked them, he says, your lifestyle, the way you live, has shows no fear of God at all, no reverence for him. You need to get that back. And so he gives them the truth. Your separation and restoration will cost you. And this is what he asked them to do. I want you put yourself, you, let's say you are the money lender. And you've got this huge flow coming into your bank account every month. And it's more money than you ever dreamed of having. And maybe you've taken part of that money and you're reinvesting it in something else. And you're thinking, God has blessed me. He says that this is what Nehemiah says to them. Give back to them immediately, not wait. Give back to them immediately their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses, and also the interest you were charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. Give them back everything and add something to it. Put yourself in their position. They think they're doing what culture and custom has dictated and said is shrewd and good business. And now they're being challenged to say, that may be good business here, but in God's kingdom, that's not good business. That's evil. And you need to correct it. And so you know they had to count the cost. And so they're looking at their, at their, their books of their ledgers and they're looking at it and thinking, wow, that, that's a lot to give back. And they're reasoning in their mind, like you and I would read, well, is God, you know, who's Nehemiah anyway? I mean, is he really all that? Is he really God? Does he speak for God or not? I'm not sure he's interpreting the Levitical law all perfectly. You know that all went in their mind. But listen what they did. This is big for us. I mean, by the way, if, if, if it doesn't cost you anything, um, it probably isn't worth much. You know, like when you go to Goodwill and the veterans and you pile your your garbage bag full of those old shoes and shirts and pants you know you know that's not you're not really feeling like oh man that's really costing me cuz I'm you know you're not putting in your louis vuitton handbag right you're not you're not putting in your rolex you're not you're not going out paying the price and when you give and you just give the spares and not quality time and some spare change is not the same as first fruits and sacrificing that something you didn't want anymore anyway is not the price the cost here's the cost these guys did this is what they said in Nehemiah 5 12 we will give it back all I got to say is wow I'm impressed and we will not demand anything more from them we will do as you say Brethren, right here, right here is the turning point. This is the beginning of revival. When you come to that place in your heart and says, I'm going to pay the price, there's a cost, and I'm going to pay the cost, and you actually do it, revival begins in your heart right then, and it will begin and overflow into the church as we embrace that. We know about wealthy Zacchaeus, right? Wealthy had Republican tax collector hated by the people because he sold out his people but he had a cushy job and he was very rich. Jesus is walking down the road one day and Zacchaeus wants to see who this rabbi is and he climbs a tree and and his heart is drawn towards him and and Jesus looks up and says Zacchaeus come down from there. I I will stay at your house. I'm going to dine at your house like me my master he responds and But you know what? That wasn't enough. Oh, okay, I'm going to follow him. It wasn't until he got before God in his house at this dining table and said, whoever I have stolen from, I will give back four times as much. Jesus said in response, today salvation has come to this house. There was a cost to be paid. Brethren, if there's not a cost and it's not hurting, it's painful, I... Quiet repentance, by the way, has started among the church. That's what gives me such great hope. I know a lot of pastors and meet with some on a pretty regular basis, and I could tell you, and just from the things I'm even reading outside and what pastors are writing that, that in church leadership and parachurch leadership, that there is a heart change going on. There's a large Baptist church who who looked at their what they were doing and and they just said you know what are we doing here we create a show every single week just to get a lot of people and we've compromised and and so they said you know we're just going to end the show we're going to go back to the scriptures and we're going to teach it and and we're going to be sensitive to people coming in but we're not going to have to feel this raising the bar on the show every single week they lost two thousand plus people as a result they paid the cost for it and god blessed them they're happier than ever it could be some of you might know, I may have shared this before, Church United. Church United is a group of, of church leaders uh, in Broward County that was formed after several well-known pastors fell in, in, in morally. And when they got together, these pastors started talking to each other. and so said, like, well, how is it that these people who great messages from the pulp but impeach, seen to preach with such integrity from the word of God, how, I mean, how could they have this failure? Nobody even know about it. And, and one of the things they came up with is because the spirit that went on at, around the churches was a competitive spirit. And it's one that said, we don't need each other. And it's one that lacked accountability. And, and it was one of independence rather than dependence on God and one another as he had designed it. And so there was a repentance that happened. And the pastors came together and said, no, we're taking down the walls of competition and we're gonna bring... Together, our churches. And they've done that in such a great way. And it's so encouraging to see that the wall, there's no competition. Brethren, you have no idea what's going on out here in Broward County. Like, they're just pastors open up their churches to so called competing churches and not the least bit fear, opening up bank accounts, supporting one another. It's just, I can pick up the phone, call pastors in the area, and say, hey, i am got dealing with this issue. Can you help me? I just got to text. You know, the other day while I was in, in my new home in New Jersey and just uh, like, you know, Pastor, can I help you with this? he heard me say something and came back and, and sent me some help. And I'll tell you, that's the beginning. True, true Christian leaders and believers stay on mission no matter what the cost. That's the difference, and that's the chain with us. We stay on mission no matter what it's going to cost us, and it's not going to be easy, and we're going to fail at it. Nehemiah had said this about the cost to be paid. This is his own personal cost as a leader. This is the cost he paid. He says, out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Act like what? Act like you guys who took advantage of the buying opportunity, of the lending opportunity. I didn't do that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. Instead, I did what God called me to do no matter the cost, and yeah, I could have made a fortune. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. We did not take advantage. Instead, we did what God called us to do. And so the question that that begs of me and of you is, is are my decisions and actions really out of reverence for God? Like, am I reverent to him in, in my, my decisions that I'm making, is this costing me something or is it just really the easy way under the guise of God loves me and he's given me all of this? Am I really paying the price? And I'm not saying y'all go sell everything that you have and follow him, some of you maybe he'll, he'll speak, That's not, it's not that kind of message are you doing what God has asked you to do? Like he's put something on your heart and you know it and maybe it was years ago and you kind of got off track a little bit. It's like, and he he's comes every once in a while in a, in a setting like this on a Sunday or, or a Bible study or with some friends that are Christians and you get this spark and you say, I believe God is calling me to do this, but I, I'm just too afraid to do it and I don't want to pay the price. It's too hard. A lot of you, men, you, you hide behind the You're wise because they're spiritual and seem more spiritual than you. And you say, as long as she's got got the spiritual side covered, I'm just going to coast. It happens a lot. It happens a lot. Do not be sidetracked. That's the call. That's what God's saying here in his word. And and, and it's going to take some time. Do not be sidetracked by good deals or money or power. Do not get into consuming with self-serving activities. Jesus gave this startling exhortation to would-be followers. This is, I just want to close with this. He said this, it's just, if you really think about it, it's, it's really stunning. It should set you back on your seat a little bit. Jesus said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. I mean, think about that. Think about your last impulsive gym membership. Think about it. Honestly. Like, really, isn't that a great example? Like, I need to get in shape. I mean, look at this. I got to do something. And you, and you instantly go and the salesperson, you know, convinces you. But you never sat down to consider what this is going to cost me, and I don't mean financially, because they make that easy. I mean, what is it going to cost you personally? That's, that's what this is saying here. The Greek for sit down means to take a long time to seriously consider, says in the Greek, to to contemplate like, oh, okay, I'm going to need, how many days a week do I need? I'm going to need at least three days a week here, and then maybe some cardio, right? And, um, yeah, but I got a pretty full schedule. So what in my schedule am I going to have to like rearrange or get rid of that's, that's really not more important than getting my health together. So I'm, I'm going to have to arrange some things and things. And, and then I know it's going to hurt because the lactic acid burn after the first few times, it's not going to feel well. And so um, I, I need to be able in advance to contemplate that this is going to be painful initially. It's going to be inconvenient and it's going to be painful, but the results will be well worth it. So you sat down, you've considered the cost of time, energy, pain, and expense, and then you make the decision to plop down the 30-some bucks a month. It's exactly what it is in the church. Jesus is saying, that, have you counted the cost? Sit down, what is the cost of following me? Jesus gives great examples to this over and over again. Like, there is a price to be paid. Count the costs. It's the real cost. It's everything included in there. I've had to do this in my own life now, and I'm going to encourage you to do this along with me. That there uh, is a time when you stop and you say, God, what do I need to do to be 100% in you? I know maybe I won't reach 100% but I want to be this. I want to be all in for you, doing your will. I want to be about your business. I want to be advancing the kingdom in the place that you've asked me to do that. How do I do that? And, and then you, you talk to some people and you open up his word and you, you count the cost of that. Like, man, it's gonna cost me some time. It's gonna cost me some things that I'm devoted to that I need to be undevoted to and redirect my devotion somewhere else. And I want to do that. And then you think of the pain that's going to cost you. And you know the forces are going to come against you to say, you don't need to do that. That's crazy. You're saved by grace through faith alone. And it's true. But, man, if you want to look like him and talk like him and be a light in this world and hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant, there's a cost to pay. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. But it it has to be said because there's none greater than him. I mean, he's real, guys. I mean, he's real. He really is, as Pastor Tony prayed, enthroned. He's high above all. All of heaven and earth are under his feet, everything is under his feet. And as Pastor said, one day we will come before him. And until then, we are to be a light upon the hill. I'm so proud of so many of you who are doing that so well. You're a great example. You convict me in your lifestyle, the choices that you make. just want to validate that for a moment. It's not like this is not a talk-down message. This is a let's talk together conversation. And there's so many of you already doing that. Don't feel guilty. Um, But so many of us have tanglements in our life, things that are holding us back, customs and cultural things that we just have accepted as okay, that... That God is, he, you know, you feel it. He's calling you to like, just pull away from that. Pull away from that. I know it's hard. Just pull away from that. A- and then he'll meet you there. He'll meet you there with himself, his presence, his intimacy. So this seems to be like a great time for us to just to, stand up and, and to sing and be reminded of how great he is, just how great he is.